I am going to go into this marriage with a better toolbox and I'm going to know myself better than I did the first time because I, I do not blame my ex-husband for our marriage falling apart. I think it's two people that make a marriage work or not work. And I take a lot of responsibility for not knowing what I needed, speaking up for what I needed during our marriage. You know, like you can't be mad at somebody for not giving you what you need if you don't tell them what you need. Welcome to And Then Everything Changed, a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and decisions that define us. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today I'm speaking with Rebecca West. She's the author of Happy Starts at Home. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you for being here, Rebecca. So your book is more than a design book about making a space that's livable and beautiful. How would you describe what the goal of your book is? So it's definitely not another dust collecting coffee table book, as wonderful as those are. (laughs) This is a book that is about design psychology. Is your home supporting you or is it sabotaging the goals you've set for your life? And it's filled with exercises that are meant to help you self-evaluate your space and how it's treating you so that you can make the changes you need to make. So it's a very action-oriented book. Wow. And that's a really interesting way to put it too, how your home is treating you. When I look at the contents of your book, uh, just for listeners who haven't seen it yet, there are some you know, contents that are like happy starts with you, define your perfect place. But then you get into discover the geographical cure when it comes to healthy and well-rested and love, romance, companionship, and starting anew. Um, it takes a village, family identity, and the power of play. So even in your titles for your chapters, I can see that this is much more than just, it's much more than just an aesthetic exercise. Absolutely. And the aesthetics are really important because what we see affects us. We have five senses on purpose, right? Because that's mm-hmm. how we engage with the world. But we have to engage with the with our surroundings in a way that's deeper than just, you know, would I be proud to have people come over because they're going to like, they're going to think I have good taste. Like it has to go deeper than people just thinking you have good taste. It needs to support the lifestyle you want to live, the the life you want to have, the person you want to be, because Mm -hmm. whether we, whether we realize it or not, our homes are influencing and reinforcing what we believe about ourselves and the world and how other people treat us. And so this is different, and I might mispronounce this. How in your mind is this different from feng shui? You know, it's actually, that's a really great question. Um, it's it's very related, except for that I am definitely not a feng shui practitioner. That's, you know, it's a that's an Eastern Chinese art that there are definitely specialists in. But mm-hmm. I just had one champion of my book, and I just adore her. This gal named Lisa said that this book demystifies what a lot of feng shui and other interior designers make more complicated than it needs to be. So really, this is a very Western approach to the psychology of the home. But just like feng shui, it's talking about how our homes affect us. Mm -hmm. And when did you have your aha moment personally about your space affecting you? Well, 13 years ago, I got divorced. (laughs) 
Um, I got to, this is long before I had this as a career. I had recently stopped my career teaching ballroom dance because I was trying to work on my marriage, trying to be home because I worked at night and he was in school and working during the day. And so we didn't see each other much. How many years did you do that? Four glorious years. It was a wonderful, wonderful job. Did you know from an early age that you wanted to do that or did you fall into it? No, I, so, okay. I, I got a geology degree in college and mm-hmm. I also got a community and environmental planning degree in college. So I was very civic minded. I love science and I wanted to do something important and meaningful. So then from there, I went into the Peace Corps. So I was in the mm-hmm. Peace Corps for a period of time and I came back and then I got, you know, then I'm like, okay, what am I going to do with my life? And I knew I didn't want to be a geologist for a lot of reasons. So I just, mm-hmm. I got a, a, an administrative job that led into me training to administer retirement plans. So there I am in a cubicle mm-hmm. learning how to administer retirement plans, which is as dry as you, it sounds. Yeah. And I was losing my mind. I had this realization that I'm like, if, I, if I'm 80 and I look back at my life and this <laughs> is the career I chose, I will find a time machine. I will go back and I will simply kill myself because <laughs> this isn't a fit for Rebecca. Like this is not a fit. And it's not that it was a bad job. But it was a bad job for me. Like I was literally right. wallpapering my cubicle with wrapping paper to get some color around me. Aww. And I was yeah. color coding my spreadsheets, not to make them useful, but to make them pretty. Like it was wow. not a fit. Yeah. So I quit that and I just needed, I needed something completely different. I mean, out of the box different. And I have, I was looking online for jobs and it mm-hmm. turns out that Arthur Murray will teach you to be a dance instructor. Now I had been doing ballroom dance since I was about 17, just mm-hmm. as a hobby. Um, but they, Arthur Murray doesn't need to hire dancers. They need to hire people who are good teachers, good coaches. They will teach mm-hmm. you how to dance. That's their whole shtick that they can teach anybody to dance. I, I applied. I got, actually got turned down. I cried. Mm-hmm. And then I applied again. And I got a position with a different um, mm-hmm. studio. And truly, I had the time of my life for four years because what I discovered about myself, the, the things I already knew, I know I love showing off and twirling around with <laughs> scarves, you know, or whatever. I've been doing that since I was two. Um, I love, you know, being colorful. I love being exuberant. But what I discovered is I also love teaching. I love coaching. I love breaking something complicated and scary down so that it's less complicated Mm -hmm. and scary and helping them achieve something they Mm -hmm. dreamed of doing, which was what dance is. And that has been translated over time into me having a staff in my business and now me coaching other interior designers because it's all coming from the same place. I love Mm -hmm. teaching. So that was exciting to learn about myself. But I had to put that aside because it wasn't a fit with what another important thing in my life, my marriage. So you're saying you were out at night when your husband was home at night. Yeah. So he was, he was working full time in a finance job and he was getting his MBA and JD. Wait, I can't even remember. Like he was doing all the things like very fancy Mm -hmm. degrees. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I was leaving at about, oh, I don't know, like two in the afternoon and getting home around 11 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. So we were like ships passing, you know, for four years while he was doing this and I was doing that. And that is, by the way, not a good way to build a marriage. In case anybody wants a marriage tip, you should see each other occasionally. 
So you were new in the relationship then when, when you, when you had this job change? Um, no, we've been married. Gosh, I, you know, we started that whole adventure probably three or four years into our marriage. And the last four years of our marriage was this kind of journey of me, me teaching him in school. He'd always, he had planned to quit his full-time job and just focus on school, which would also have shifted things and given us more time. But, you know, you make the best decisions you can in the moment. And the money was so good from the finance job that from a logical, like on paper perspective, it made sense for him to work and go to school. And it's like, we're just doing this for four years. It's no big deal. But yeah. And for you, you're following, you're following something, you're pursuing this, this job, this dream that feels great. And that's kind of a strange juxtaposition to be feeling fulfilled in your work and career and art. Yeah. But then did you, did you start to understand that things at home weren't good? Yeah. What really, what I, in retrospect, what really was happening was that I was developing a life separate from his life. You know, I had my career and I had my coworkers and I had my students and he had his co-students and his professors and his career. And we just didn't have enough time to make those paths parallel. They were like on different planets. And then, and then some emotional things happened where I wasn't feeling connected to my husband I was feeling a lot of connection with other people and I was craving that from that, my relationship. And by the time I was able to articulate that and we were in counseling, I had to make a decision. Like, did I want to try and keep this relationship that didn't, that would basically need rebuilding. It would need rediscovering. Or did I want to stay in this new path that I had sort of built for myself of in having my own thing, I guess, is the way to put it, you know, and in the end, I was sort of between things. I didn't have my the career I have now, and I'd already left ballroom dance, but it wasn't specifically about the thing I was doing. It's more like, are you going to support somebody else in their dreams, or are you going to pursue your own, and can those two things go together? That's not an easy answer, and mm-hmm. by the time we were asking those questions, I was tired. I can't speak for him, but I was tired and I didn't have it in me to keep trying when there was something else I'd already built and could could keep building. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's hard. Yeah. And it sounds like you knew that there was some trouble. From what I understand, you're saying you had been doing the ballroom dancing and flourishing there and then you realized together that that wasn't really good for your relationship. So you mm-hmm. had started to make adjustments. You you stopped doing it. And did you go mm-hmm. into a different career? Yeah, I took a job at a couture wedding dress shop selling wedding dresses. It was um, mm-hmm. it was a fun job, actually, because the, the environment was beautiful. I bet, um, yeah. But it wasn't, it definitely wasn't a career for me. Um, mm-hmm. Isn't it interesting that you were the one who needed to change what you were doing to help the relationship. Yeah. I'm, and I, it's, it's interesting that you say that because I come from a family of women who have done a lot of that. I have two moms, a stepmom and a mom, and both of them have done a lot of life shifting for their husband's careers or dreams. My dad was in the army. And so there's a lot of um, accommodation that military wives do for their husbands. Um, And then my stepfather, had a lot of wonderful dreams, like living on a boat for three years, traveling around the world. And my mom does not like water. 
um, and was not a sailor, but she, she did that. She dropped everything. They sold everything and went and lived on this boat for three years. And there's been other examples of that. And they're, and my mom and stepmom are very happy with their choices. It doesn't make these bad choices, mm-hmm. but we all are going to be faced with these intersection moments where we have to decide what we're pursuing, whose dream is next on the list and what we're willing to sacrifice for that dream. Um, and, you know, you can't, there's no right or wrong answer. There are better and worse ways to handle it. I have, you know, I think we all look back and go, gosh, I could have said that better. But you, all you can do is move forward from your decisions. And in my case, I'm very lucky because the results of my ultimate divorce have been incredibly fruitful. I learned, I discovered strength I didn't know I had. I discovered I'm an entrepreneur, didn't know that. And I have a much fuller life because of the pain of that transition in my life than I than I would have. I think I can say that with confidence, but you don't know in the minute, in the moment of your decision. You really don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All you I feel know. is pain. Mm-hmm. And so you, you made the decision to divorce. Mm-hmm. You were working in a retail job in Couture. And what happened next? So I'm working this job, but then at the same time, I'm living in the house that I'd shared with my ex-husband. So he moved out and I got to keep the house, which is a total blessing in the Seattle market. Houses are very expensive here. But even though he moved out, the memories, the memories didn't go with mm. them, you know, like, yeah. not, and neither did the furniture. There was the bed that we shared. There was the couch from his parents. There was the paint mm-hmm. colors we chose. Like all of my marriage was still around me. And so every time I would come home from work, I would just be kind of smacked in the face with all those memories, all that all that feeling of failure. Like it's like literally walking past your sofa and it's like, you failed at life, you know? And it, it made me miserable and it really reinforced feelings I already had inside of me that I had failed at the biggest thing I was supposed to do in my whole life. And therefore I am a failure and I make bad decisions. Like that was the, the, the message that was being told to me every day by my space. Which seems extra challenging when you had chosen to pursue this new life because it served mm-hmm. you better and, and it was better for you. Right. Yeah. But you can, that can be true mm-hmm. and you can still have a, a complete sense of self-doubt mm-hmm. and utter despair. Um, I remember a friend of mine was going through a divorce at the same time. I didn't know it. We, neither of us knew. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were trying to get back in touch with each other. We didn't know why. You know, you just get those instincts sometimes. But we were also kind of being really gentle about it. And it's because we both felt really embarrassed to share the fact that we were going through a divorce. Like, it's it's embarrassing to fail at things. Mm-hmm. And then when we both realized what we were both going through, it was such a relief because there's this, oh, gosh, there's just this profound sense of, like, I'm not even if I'm a failure, at least I'm not alone mm-hmm. when you have somebody else going through the same thing. Right. Well, it's also a little less pressure to be perfect, I think, if you have mm-hmm. someone who you care about and respect who's also experiencing something like you are. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So you're looking around, you realize that you can't be faced with this history anymore. Yeah. I'm just, yeah, I was completely miserable and I don't, I really don't, can't say why I did this, but I went, I can't keep living like this. And I got some old paint out of the garage. There was this can of nearly black paint. Mm. Um, and I painted my vaulted ceilings black. Mm. 
And then I got this old can of turquoise paint out of the garage and I faux finished my walls in turquoise paint. And let me tell you, it was horrible. <laughs> it was absolutely <laughs> ugly, <laughs> but it was also absolutely fantastic because it definitely didn't look like the house he had lived in. Uh -huh. It like broke the space free from the old story. And it kind of gave me this magical permission to intentionally change my house now, you know, not mm -hmm. use the old paint, but go buy a gallon of paint in the color I liked. And um, that's what set it all off. I just, I sold almost all my furniture on Craigslist. So all of that marriage furniture, I, I gave it away or sold it. And then I bought all quote unquote new furniture on Craigslist. It's new to me. I bought myself a twin bed after I got rid of my queens. I was like, this is a bed for one person. Ain't nobody else allowed. Mm -hmm. And it was all the paint colors were pinks and purples and like uh, sea glass green. And I got this, oh, I loved it. This turquoise velvet sofa off Craigslist. It was it was an okay condition. It had some burn marks on it from cigarettes and it was missing its feet. But I loved that sofa. And I and I made feet, you know, I figured it out. And I just I created a space that felt like a feminine cocoon, one that was completely untethered from my old story and from that failure. And like I, I like to say, I, I moved on without actually physically having to move out. Mm -hmm. And it let me heal. And it was magic. And that's when I realized that interior design was or could be more than just throw pillows. Like it could actually help people. Because I always thought it was a stupid career, like just for rich people. <laughs> that's, funny. that's funny that you're admitting that. And so when you when you realized that you wanted to do it, did you, was was it an aha moment? It was it was a fairly aha moment. Now to be fair, I am the kind of person who changed my space a lot, right? I when I was thirteen, I asked my parents if I could have a room makeover for my birthday, and I went from pink satin and lace to black and white with some eighties, you know, um, <laughs> portraits. And I was the person who my dorm room. I literally brought in carpet and curtains, and I hung pictures on the wall and it all matched. So I've always been the person who shaped my environment. And of course we grew up in the, mil I grew up in the military. So my family was one where two weeks after we moved into the house, our stuff, our stuff was set up. Like my mom was a homemaker. Um, so I had those tools and then I had my aha moment and I just went, well, I'm not and I'd actually quit my job at the couture wedding dress by now because I, I didn't like some of the business practices that were there. So I, I literally had nothing to lose. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm marriage and career free. So I called up my mom and I'm like, I'm going to start a business doing redesign for people. And she kind of went, okay, because she's very you know open-minded and creative. The woman lived on a boat for three years, for goodness sake. And I did it. I just, I just leaped off this ridiculous high dive because mm -hmm. I had nothing to lose. People say, gosh, that was so courageous. And I'm like, I guess I feel like the courage came earlier when I, you know, ended yeah. my marriage. And now I was just picking up the pieces and going, well, gosh, what am I going to make out of this? <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. It couldn't, I mean, you already did the really hard thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So did you start, did you start advertising? How did you get your first clients? Well, I reached out to some of my ex-dance students, and some of them let me do some projects for them. 
Um, and I started making some relationships with contractors and painters. I did free color consultations at my local Benjamin Moore paint store. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I set a deadline for myself. This all happened in like November, December of 2007. And I found out that my, my local neighborhood association, the Finney, Finney Neighborhood Association, held a home fair every January, end of January. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to have a booth. And so that gave me this self-imposed deadline, like, okay, well, I guess I'd better have business cards and uh, a name and like um, some kind of an elevator speech. Like, I don't know. Goals um, are good that way, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, I don't like, if you don't give me a deadline, things can take forever. You tell me it has to be yeah. done by tomorrow, I'll get it done. Um, so I, that's what I did. And then um, the other thing I did, I did two other things that were really important. Number one, I rented out the other rooms in my house. So I made sure that I was having help with my mortgage because I didn't have a lot of income coming in. And um, I have a natural talent for color. So I was doing these color consults at Benjamin Moore and, and then for my very few clients. But I also am a very good painter. I, I can cut in a line with a brush like nobody's business. Um, so I just, I was a painter for the first couple of years of being in business too. I would do the color consult and I would offer to paint the bedroom. Um, and that was where a lot of my income mm-hmm. came from. So, yeah. you know, when you're a, when you're a new business person, you hustle, you just make it work. <laughs> You've built this business. So can you, can you talk a little bit about what your business looks like right now? And we can, let's pretend the pandemic is not happening. <laughs> we'll, we'll come, we'll come back to how it's working now, but what is your business about right now? Oh, I love that question. Um, well, let me tell you, it is not the business I thought it would be 13 years ago. When I started this thing, I, I literally said the words, I'm never going to have employees. I'm never going to do remodels. Like I wanted to keep it really simple. And I really wanted to focus on using what people already had. Mm-hmm. I discovered that it's kind of like how people describe having a kid. Like you have this kid and you think my kid's going to do ballet. And then the kid grows up and the kid's like, I'm going to do soccer. Thank you very much. And, but, you, but the family values don't change. Just what you're doing changes. And that happened to me in business. So here I am and I have a staff of five people, soon to be six. Um, I do very little of the design work myself. I oversee all the designs rather than doing the designs, which means I get to mentor and grow other designers, I, which Going back to what I said earlier, I love yeah, teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, we definitely design for kitchen and bathroom models. That's the majority of our work. Um, we and then of course, then I also have have these little branches to my business tree. Now I have my book. I am about to launch a podcast of all things. I oh, wow. coach other interior designers as part of my business. So I have these different revenue streams. And then my husband and I are planning to move to Paris in um, by the end of next year, we're hoping. So I'm now in the process of continuing to level that up so that my business is more self, self-sufficient and I can focus more on the coaching and writing and speaking. So that's where I ended up. Wow, that's a very big difference. And I didn't realize you were remarried. When did that happen? I am. So we've been married, it'll be seven years in September. And that was terrifying. Um, He, I'm very lucky. So first of all, my husband, Damien, is the most amazing man ever. I'm very lucky. 
and not just because he's amazing, but because he was very persistent because I was never getting married again. Like, mm-hmm. no. And um, he, he stuck around. He was patient through me figuring it out and figuring myself out. Um, and when I finally decided to accept his proposal, I said, okay, yes, I will marry you, but let's have a long engagement, which ended up being, I think, two and a half years. And then I started acupuncture. I started hypnotherapy. I started working with a nutrition coach because I was like, I am going to go into this marriage with a better toolbox and I'm going to know myself better than I did the first time because I, I do not blame my ex-husband for our marriage falling apart. I think it's two people that make a marriage work or not work. And I take a lot of responsibility for not knowing what I needed, speaking up for what I needed during our marriage. You know, like you can't be mad at somebody for not giving you what you need if you don't tell them what you need. And I didn't know what I needed. So, I mean, it's almost like the outcome was inevitable when you think about it that way. I was not going to do that again if I had any say over the matter. So I did a lot of work with some incredible practitioners. And now, married or not, I am a stronger human, and I am definitely a better partner in this marriage than I was in the first marriage. It is so true when you talk to the more people you talk to who have been through experiences like this, the, you, you really have to work on yourself to find what you need in somebody else, I think. It's the only thing we can control too, right? Like we always talk about, you can. there are certain things you can control, there are certain things you cannot control. And um, getting clear on that is a real important part of growing up. And your husband, can I ask how you met him or what he does? <laughs> you can. Um, so it, he was one of my dance students, as a matter of fact. <laughs> He is, he goes, I mean, I've known him before everything. He was my dance student 15 years ago. And so, you know, back when I thought my marriage was amazing and things were great and I had the most amazing career and he was just some guy, one of many that I was teaching the dance. And then um, he's also amusingly a contractor when we got together and I decided to pursue this career, I was so lucky because I could just go home and be like, so can I put a hole in a wall and, and put a door there? Like, I, I was so lucky. It's heaven. I know. And then you can dance together. Are you kidding me? It's like if I, I always say if I put our marriage into a, a romantic comedy movie, people would not believe me. They'd be like, this is so Hallmark. This is so dumb. This isn't even real yeah the way things have turned out are pretty amazing so okay so so let me let me ask you something when you were young and you were moving around a lot uh with your family I mean how many times do you think you moved as a kid uh let's see loosely one two three four five six at least seven Mm -hmm. or eight did you accept those moves and those new homes all the time did you fight against them how what was that like um, gosh, I actually want to answer that in two ways. So first of all, the, the straightforward answer is I feel like I did pretty well with moving and my brothers did not do as well with moving. And I think there is a personality aspect too, if you, if you transition, okay. Um, there were two things that I think made it 
so that I did pretty well with moving. Number one was the fact that my stepmom was really, really good about making home show up every time we moved. Like it just, when she was done setting up our house, even though it was a different house in a different city in a different state, it still felt like home. And that really gave me an anchor, even though that anchor kept moving. And then I also really liked reinventing myself. Like you can go to a new school and then if I had wanted to, I could have been, you know, the geeky girl or the sporty girl or somebody with a totally random name. Like (laughs) your baggage doesn't follow you the same way when you just get to reinvent yourself in a new school. Mm -hmm. So I kind of liked that. Yeah. Um, there were plenty of tears, you know, leaving my first boyfriend. Oh my gosh. I thought the world was ending. (laughs) Um, but I did okay with it. And then the other thing is I, I had all the moves, but I also had every, every year I would go back and forth from my divorced mom and, and stepfather's home to my divorced dad and stepmother's home where I was going, where I lived with and went to school was my stepmom and dad. So you alternated parents as well? Yeah, exactly. So my understanding of home and what your room means to you and like the rules in the household, because my parents had very different ideas of bedtimes and rules and stuff. Mm-hmm. It, um, there was a lot of adapting mm-hmm. in my childhood. Right. And so do you, what do you understand about home? Well, that's a, not, that's a big question. <laughs> uh, what do I understand about home? Because we're talking about space and what you build for yourself. Mm-hmm. And we're also talking about family and we're talking about the self too, because it sounds like you were really flexible and adaptive, yeah. which is um, such an asset for the life you had, right? It seems like you kind of rolled with the punches a little bit. So A little bit. I, w- don't, I don't want to pretend that it was all peachy because I was, you know, it was hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but- Okay, so I would answer that home is a combination of the very tangible things that are, they're like touchstones, you know, like people have worry stones, and they'll just kind of rub that in their fingers to focus their energy and calm their mind. The things, the physical things around me are the tethers to my family, to my values, to and just to physical things that nurture me, like having a really soft pillow or stuffed animal or your cat, just that tactile sensation says, I'm here. I'm okay. I have everything I need. You know, Mm -hmm. having a space that I am in control over that is clean because I choose to keep it clean. It's one of the few things that I can go, all right, if I can clean the bathroom, then I can also probably deal with this larger problem that I'm dealing with in my life. Mm -hmm. The the small controls represent the big control. Mm And so for, for people just beginning on a journey of trying to be mindful about a home what or their space, what mm-hmm. is a great tip or two for listeners who are tuning in right now about quick, actionable things they can do to help yeah. their home feel more like them? So the first thing is get rid of anything that is tying you to an old and ugly story that doesn't serve you. Um, like for me, getting rid of my marriage bed and getting another one was cathartic. 
um, for one of my clients. She had this old leftover bookcase that was in her bedroom from a past relationship, and she didn't recognize how much it was like literally physically and emotionally looming over her bed. And when she put that on the curb, it was like this weight had been lifted off of her. So just walk through your house and go, you know, look at object and go, what's the first thing that comes to my mind when I look at that object? And if it's something negative, then for goodness sake, do what you can to get that out of your house. And even if you only do it with a couple of things, because, you know, you can't just, most people can't just get rid of all of their things, mm -hmm. but just a couple of those things and you will feel lighter. And then the converse is take action to do something that makes your homework better for you. So paint. Oh my gosh, I love the transformative power of paint. You paint a wall and it's like instantly clean mm. and hopefully it's in a color you like. I painted the inside of my front door pink. <laughs> you know, it's like, a, it's like a secret. You don't see it from the outside of the house, but on the inside of the house, there's this smile at the entry of my home. <laughs> and, and then feature things like don't, don't bury the things that mean something to you. If you have teacups from your grandmother or if you have uh, mementos, feature them, put them on the wall, create a gallery wall, have those touchstones around you so that you're connected with the memories that are precious to you and that made you who you are and the, and the part of you that you love and admire. Yeah. And for, I really like that. And those are things that people can do even now. And, and this episode is airing during mm -hmm. our quarantine or lockdown. What do you suggest for people who are spending so much time at home? Is there anything else that people can do? Yes. Well, one of them is, it is about mindset. One of the exercises in the book is love letters to your home. We can, I liken us to cats. You know, if we're, if we have to be in, we want to be out. If we're out, we want to be in. Mm -hmm. And so it's very easy to fall down that rabbit hole of thinking about the things we can't control, we can't do. Or looking around our home and going, oh, you know, I hate that paint color, or I wish this room were different, or I, I wish that sofa were different. And it's good right now to be thinking about how your home can be supporting you better and making a plan for some changes you can make when the resources are there. But the converse is true, too. Look around your home and think about all the things you do have, like running hot water. Running hot water is the most wonderful miracle on earth. <laughs> and if we remember to appreciate things like running hot water or the fact that there's a secure lock on your front door or you have heating so that you are in a temperature that is pleasant, you know, the small things are huge and we have to remember to look at them and focus on them and be grateful for them. And we will feel better if we do that. Mm -hmm. And your book is beautiful. Uh, aesthetically, it's just gorgeous. And I, I love that there are those, those actual exercises you can do to kind of take stock. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's not just a prescriptive book. It's sort of yeah. a self-examination too. It's it. And I really, that was very intentional because every home is very unique. For me to tell you right now, like what's one thing everybody should do in their living room would be ridiculous. Like it doesn't work like that. It'd be like me saying, what's one thing everybody should do to improve their health? Well, you know, you can go really trite with it. Like, well, you should obviously eat vegetables. Sure. But we know that. We know the obvious things. We have to dig into the specific, unique things about our circumstances. And that is going to be on a case-by-case -case basis. I know that you've had ups and downs and everything, but it sounds like you really have figured out a lot. Yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> 
<laughs> At least that's the impression I get. Well, you know, we're also recording this near Mother's Day. So let me just give out a shout to my mom because when I was 15 and I moved in with her, I was not this person. I was a typical teenager who saw the dark side of everything. And I moved in with my mom. And I remember very crystal clear the day this happened. We were looking out at this beautiful sunset from our porch. And she goes, oh, it's a beautiful sunset. And I went, well, yeah, but it's just because of the pollution. <laughs> and she turned to me in one of those epic moments and said, this has to change or you're moving back to your father's. And we embarked on 30 days of me having to say three positive things for every negative thing that came out of my mouth. And a lot of negative things came out of my mouth. <laughs> and it nearly killed both of us. <laughs> but it trained me in a habit of finding the positive in everything. And I am so grateful to her for surviving that period of time with me as a teenager because I truly believe it changed the trajectory of my entire life. Mm -hmm. You've got the kind of energy that makes me feel that things are very possible. They are. Yeah, they yeah. are. They are possible. So where can listeners find uh, more out about you? And maybe you can just talk a little bit about the name of the book again and anything else you would like to put out there. Absolutely. So the book is called Happy Starts at Home. And it is available through some indie bookstore sellers, but the easy place to get it, like always, is Amazon. Um, if you would like to find me and the team, that we are at seriouslyhappyhomes.com. And if you would like to be friends with me personally, I'm on Instagram at be seriously happy. Um, that's spelled out B-E, seriously happy. I do manage that particular account myself. So if you message me, you'll be getting directly to me. Um, and then if there are any lovely interior designers out there looking for coaching so that they can have their own happy business, that is seriouslyhappy.com. Thank you, Rebecca. I'm so glad that you had time to talk with me, and I'm really excited about looking at some of the stuff you suggest and, and changing some of my space, too. I would love to hear how that turns out for you. <laughs> Thanks very much for being my guest. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening to And Then Everything Changed. For more on this episode and other interviews you might like, please visit atecpodcast.com. You can also find And Then Everything Changed on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like this podcast, please do share it with your friends and take a minute and rate and review so that others can hear these stories too. Thanks for listening.